You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Over to the midside where I might die in California. Well, I won't because I left. You might if you're you're still there. Look, I just wanted to reference the Machine Gun Kelly song. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be in California or not. Look, it's just a good song, and there's a story I'm going to talk about which is related to that. So just just forget it. Just forget it. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything that has ever been said and ever will be said on this show. This is another solo journey into the midside. Another solo journey into the midside because you guessed it, wrestling. There's been a wrestling camp for about four days in a row, and the, the final day is Sunday, the day we usually record. So in order to, you know, give my best energy to the camp and give my best energy to the show. I decided the best option was a solo episode. Uh, it also allowed William to go see Top Gun Maverick, which a little bit of spoiler for later in the episode is a good choice on his part, but I'll get into that. I'll get into that. You know, we always do reviews later on in our episodes. And I have to say, uh, camp is tough. Camp is tough because the ops season is tough, but it's also tough because it's a grind. It's a grind. And I'm not even talking about, you know, for me in particular, right? There is a, a part of it that's tough for me, but man, on anyone who goes to a camp, and if you've ever been to a camp, just just emotionally, the time you invest in those people, I mean, you're there all day for multiple days. This is a four-day camp, and, you know, camps are usually a week, week, week long, and you think about sleepaway camps, right, if you ever did that growing up. You just, you form these really intense bonds in a short amount of time. I think I've compared it to when people shoot movies before, right? That's why actors and actresses, I believe, tend to get into relationships with each other, because they have this intense amount of time together. Especially because, besides, you know, spending all day, every day with each other, and this camp wasn't a sleepaway camp, but the metaphor still holds. It's the work you're doing. You are doing meticulous, dedicated, directed work on one ability, on one subject, on one field is probably the best word. And here this is a wrestling camp. So to work three sessions a day, three two-hour sessions a day for three and a half days and then have a tournament... That's tough. That's that's emotionally draining. But it's also draining because you spend these three days and you want to be immediately better because you think, oh, wow, I just did all this stuff. I just learned all this stuff. I practiced all this stuff. And you think, wow, I should be really good by now. I should have learned all this stuff by now. I should have internalized all this stuff by now. But as we know, the internalization process isn't that quick. It doesn't happen that way. You have to keep practicing. You have to keep working. So it's not something that is easy because you want to, when you dedicate that much time, you, you want to see the results immediately. It's just natural to want to see the results immediately, but you're not going to. That, that, that's just the way life works. You're not going to see those results immediately. It's going to be deferred. It's always deferred. And it makes it extra tough at something like a wrestling camp because there's usually a tournament at the end of it. And I know because that happened when I was younger, right? I mean, I, I wrestled in wrestling camp tournaments and matches and everything. And I got my butt kicked in some of them and did well in some of them. So, I, so I remember it, but that's where it's, it's, it's tough on the other side. It's tough on the other side. Cause now I'm on the side as a coach and first of all, I didn't really want to coach, right? Because this isn't about winning or losing. And that's the first thing I wanted to establish with what was going on. So we did a takedown tournament. That's where you're not worried about pinning the other person. It's just you take them down, you get up, and then whoever has the most takedowns within three minutes wins. It's, it's really run in a cool way where there's five mats going and every mat's on the same clock. It's a running clock. It's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty fun. It's pretty neat to watch. But it's also tough to watch 
because even though in my opinion, and I'm not saying this from a biased perspective, my girls have been working really hard and they're some of the best out there. I mean, remember, I have a few state qualifiers. I have a girl who's coming back who's, who's ranked in the state. None of them won the tournament. Not a single one won the tournament. You know, all of, most of them got to the finals, if not all of them. I think it was just our middle schoolers who didn't get to the finals. But none of them won. And it's tough not to watch them lose because, as I said and as the head coach said, there's just little things to clean up, and it's fine, and that's part of the process, as I was saying. I know what the process is, and I know that this is just part of the process. It's not the end point. I mean, this is June, right? Our our season starts in November and our season ends. It peaks in March. So, so I'm not worried about, uh, I'm not worried about what's happening now in June, but what makes it tough is what makes it tough is the girls are worried about what's happening now, because when you're a competitor, when you're out there, you don't want to lose. Right? You don't want to lose. You never want to lose. So it's really tough to to watch and see actually see the development. The development they might not even be aware of themselves. Right? I was just talking about how in these situations, in these camps, in the, in these short term flurries where you're you're doing all this training and then you you start wrestling matches that you don't improve. But sometimes you do. There are little improvements. It's not like you have no improvement. And it's easier to see that as a coach. So it's it's tough to watch the girls go out there and you know lose these tight matches and lose these close matches because you see how they can get demoralized. You see how they can get demoralized and even though you see their development, you see their development and and you're impressed with where they are to know they're not impressed themselves. That's that's the toughest part for me. And it's just it's just a reminder that success is not immediate. Success is not immediate that's what i've been doing right and we'll actually we'll get into another thing i've been doing in a second but something i wanted to talk about first that came across my desk so to speak actually my text messages a couple of these uh one was sent by uh daniel in the in the secret thread that william was talking about last episode last journey william was talking about that secret thread and then the second was sent by uh, Midsider Cody in the Discord. So, like I said, if you ever want to join the Discord, do so through the Midsider.com and Midsider.com slash podcast. Won't go through the whole thing. You know, find the episodes, click on the episode link. You know how it works. But it's it's interesting. It's interesting because one of the things I've always talked about for a long time is Florida Man and how the media makes a big deal out of Florida Man and how terrible Florida Man is and crazy Florida Man is. But they never highlight what I call like the, the California crazy. There's so much craziness that comes out of California and no one ever turns it into a meme. But Florida man is a Florida man, Florida man, (laughs) Florida man is a meme. Well, one of those things that uh, Daniel sent this week is here's the headline. I'm just going to read a little bit of this article he sent. Meet L.A.'s first chief heat officer assigned to head city's response to extreme heat events. And then the sub headline here is FEMA has identified L.A. County as the nation's most vulnerable county to heat waves. Well, when you live in the desert by the ocean in a very arid place, what do you expect? Right. Of course, you're most vulnerable to heat waves. I love how we have a government agency had to declare that has to identify that when government agencies declare things that are obvious to me, it's it's just interesting because it's it's really a stark reminder of the amount of money we're wasting, the amount of tax money. Anyway, in response to rising temperatures, Los Angeles announced the the, chi, the buh, buh, announced the city's first ever chief heat officer Friday. Now, first of all, just grammatically, this is terribly written. It sounds like the name of the chief heat officer is Friday. It should have said, "On Friday, Los Angeles announced the city's first ever chief heat officer." Because remember they had like His Girl Friday or whatever, and wasn't there the guy in Robinson Crusoe named Wednesday? Or was that guy named Friday? I don't know. There have been people named after um, days of the week. I mean, April O'Neil and the Turtles is named after a month. Uh, we have Agent May from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right, so it's just a, it's, it just sounds like this person's name is Friday. Uh, then they have a stupid 
irrelevant line. The official start of summer is just over two weeks away, so the timing of this announcement is fitting. If that line does not prove that the media is in bed with the government, I don't know what does. You have to tell me that the the government's announcement of a new position they're going to be wasting tax dollars on is perfect. Like, that's... Come on, do you need more evidence there? That That's... They took their strategy there from the people. So then it goes into saying who it is. Look, I don't really care who this person is. I don't want to dunk on this this person. But I will say, just picture the heat miser from the year without Santa Claus when I'm talking about this position. Because that's who I picture when you're talking about, what is this, the, the heat czar? No, the first chief heat officer. When I think of the first chief heat officer, I think of two things. I either think of the heat miser from the year without Santa Claus, you know, I'm Mr. Heat Miser, I'm Mr. 101, right? They should just play that song whenever the person comes out, or, you know, that person should start their their first ever press conference with that when it gets to 101 degrees, or maybe that's what their Twitter account can do. The Twitter account should just be Heat Miser memes. Uh, I also think of the Miami Heat, and I think of, isn't this already Jimmy Butler, when you talk, talk about the, the first chief heat officer? The chief heat officer isn't that Jimmy Butler. So it's kind of weird. This is Los Angeles. Of course, they're also the Lakers. So now they stole the Lakers and the heat, right? The Lakers come from Minneapolis. There are no lakes in LA. So I don't know. It's just very strange to me, the role. But it says the new role will enable the person to work with a number of agencies to prepare a heat action plan. Here's your heat action plan go inside and turn on the air conditioning. Here's your heat action plan. Go in the swimming pool. Hell, the beach is really, the water's really cold in California beaches. In California, at the beaches, the water's really cold. Go to the beach. Drink water. Heat action plan. That includes, here's what they say, that includes everything from an early warning system to long-term strategies to reduce exposures. Here's where we're getting to the real point here. Experts say it's needed, predicting that by the middle of the century, L.A. will experience five times more heat waves in a year than now. So now we see what's really going on here. Right. The first thing is, let's go, let's go back to the what it includes, what this plan includes. An early warning system. Isn't that called the Weather Channel? Isn't this what everyone, isn't that called, here's an even better one. Isn't that called any relative you have over the age of 55? Because all they do is sit there and watch the Weather Channel and then text you. That happened to me the other day. I called my godmother because you know my godparents are about to visit. And she was like, are you underwater? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, I know Miami's flooding right now because of a tropical storm. And there were tropical storm warnings all over Florida. No, it wasn't here, but what's she watching? The Weather Channel. So I don't know what they're talking about. The, the early warning system we have is anyone in our family over the age of 55. But when we get to long-term strategies, long-term strategies, this is where we see they're smuggling in environmentalism and climate change. Environmentalism and climate change. Because listen to this. Experts say it's needed, predicting that by the middle of the century, L.A. will experience five times more heat waves in a year than now. It's actually even more insidious than just climate change because it really tells you that climate change is just a label for global warming. Because they knew people had a trump card on them when they said, well, why is it getting colder here if you're talking about global warming? Because again, people with these perspectives, it's only where they grew up that they focus on. So yeah, LA were experienced five times more heat waves in a year than now. Okay, I have an idea. Here's a long-term strategy. Move. Move. Build better infrastructure. But this is all coming from This is all coming from the assumption that man is corrupt, that we are all corrupt and we are causing this, and we have to mitigate it somehow. We have to fix ourselves somehow. And that's what makes this so absurd. They're literally, I mean, think about it. Think about this for a second. There is literally a major city in the United States of America. Hell, we'll just say there's a major city in any place in the entire world, which has a position called chief heat officer. Chief Heat Officer. Does Colorado have a Chief Snow Officer? 
Does Alaska have a chief cold officer? I don't even think Canada has a chief hockey officer. You could do anything with this. This is straight out of a dystopian novel. Straight out of a dystopian novel. You could put any noun or adjective. Let's just stick with nouns. You could put any noun into the blank. Play Mad Libs with this. And that's what you would you would come up with how ridiculous this is. Chief Netflix officer. It, didn't Elon Musk try to do this? Didn't he try to become the chief social media officer and everyone got mad at him for it? But LA does it and no, no one's saying anything. I just don't get like why more people besides me, or maybe they are, I don't know. I'm not really on the internet anymore. Why are more people besides me not pointing out the absurdity of this? Although I will give credit where credit is due. I will give credit where credit is due. If we look at uh, the, the, the Discord here and we see what Midsider Cody had to say, see what Midsider Cody had to say, the other California thing, he, he, he shared a tweet and he said, this is some bleak shit, guys. And what he's referring to here is, what he's referring to here is, is the series of tweets he shared with me about advertisements in California that are public service announcements. And they're, they're counterintuitive. They're counterintuitive to anyone who has a brain, to anyone who has any sort of morality. And I want to emphasize that word. But you can understand why in California terms they're doing this and why in California logic this makes sense. So what this thread is pointing out is for cigarettes, they're advocating complete abstinence for tobacco. But for drugs, and the example they use is fentanyl, they're advocating responsible usage. Responsible usage. So they put two billboards together here in this in this thread. One says, mind if I smoke, and the other person replies, care if I die. And then the, the second billboard they, they show is, it's in San Francisco, of course it's in San Francisco, right? So... This entire podcast so far has been dunking on L.A. and San Francisco, but, I mean, hopefully that's what the Celtics do through the rest of the NBA Finals is dunk on San Francisco. But this billboard says no overdose. Now, it's a pun. In light pink, or the K and the W in no, and in bright pink are the N and the O. It's probably more of a burgundy or purple. I don't know. It's hard to tell. It's a clear picture. It's in... Uh, poor quality picture, but you get the idea. But the point is, no overdose is a pun, right? No K-N-O-W-N-N-O overdose. So know what overdose is so you don't. And it says, do it with friends. Although, that makes it seem like it's saying overdose with friends, but they mean do drugs with friends. And it says, use with people and take turns. Try not to use alone or have someone check on you. Now, they do have a comma before the or yeah, before or the the clause or have someone check on you, but it technically the grammar is terrible here because it's saying try not to use alone and then have it carry over to or have someone check on you. So it sounds like try not to have someone check on you. But again, that's what they put the comma in there. They tried to have uh, you know both parts in there and they tried to to mitigate what I was saying. But again, this shows you how poorly written this stuff is, right? This shows you the level of quality that's done with it. Just say, try to have someone check on you or don't use a loan, right? Very simple. You could have fixed that very simply. Or you could just put a checklist. Do it with friends. Use with people. Take turns. Isn't also use with people and try not to use a loan the same thing? Isn't that redundant? Anyway, what, what they're pointing out here is, right, the idea that Tobacco is so bad you have to abstain from it, but harder drugs are not, that you have to just know how to not overdose. Now, here's the thing. I am going to be generous here and give you why they're doing this. They are doing this because there is a legitimate opiate crisis. There's a legitimate drug crisis in this country, right? There's a legitimate crisis, especially in California. I mean, we're talking about the number of homeless people, a number of those are drug addicts. So what they're doing is they're looking at the situation and figuring out the best way to manage it, they think, right? The best public service announcement for it. I understand it. I get where they're coming from. The problem is the optics of it are so bad that 
it's really what it's an indicator of is how far gone their culture is that they have to run this kind of public service announcement. But it, 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 it comes from the place where people are corrupt. The idea that they believe people are corrupt. It's the idea that they're going to do drugs anyway. What this, this is very similar to is the abstinence for teens debate, right? Where you don't want to teach abstinence only education, which I agree completely, but they go to the other extreme and they want to teach safe sex. So there's no in between. It's not, you know, with sex education, it's not, they want both. They want to say, oh, hey, you know, you shouldn't do this or, you know, you should really think hard before you do this, right? Be responsible about this. This is a huge responsibility, it's just, oh, no, you're going to do this, so here's how you should do it. And it normalizes it. And that's what makes this situation even more extreme, right? When we're talking about teens do, having sex, that's not something that's going to destroy their lives. It could, but it's not necessarily going to destroy their lives, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? There's a, a way that that can be a good thing, right? So that makes it a bit more of a difficult discussion with teens, right, and with teen sex education because you know there, there's a positive to it and you can understand the natural parts of it but it still comes from the place of corruption the idea that man is corrupt people are corrupt and they're going to do bad things and that's what the optics of this look like it looks like they because they have to concede that there's a problem they they have to double down on their rhetoric of Hey, man is corrupt. Now, they've already gotten it to this position by acting and enabling this kind of behavior. But that's where this comes from. You know, I'm, you know, I'm straight edge. If you listen to the show, you know, I'm straight edge, no drinking, no drugs, no promiscuous sex. So this is right in my wheelhouse, right? This is right in my wheelhouse where drugs are bad. I think they should be legal, but drugs are bad. Don't do them. So rather than say, get help, you know, if you're going to use get help, they're just assuming people are too weak, they're addicted, they're going to do drugs. And that's the state of California. That's the state of California. Pun intended, I suppose. Pun intended, I suppose. So I thought those two stories were interesting that came out, you know, one in the Discord, one one in the uh, the secret midside chat because of, uh, you know, it just shows uh, the continual degradation of California. Another thing California, you know, is degraded about, you know, is degrading because of his narcissism. But that's that's spreading elsewhere. And I had an interesting experience this week. Uh, and it's funny that this memory is going to be tied to this. So they just opened up a new ride at Epcot, a new Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster. I don't want to get into the inside baseball about why that's the only Marvel ride in Disney World. Um, but it just opened recently and. You know, I was excited to try it out because it's a new ride and, you know, Epcot needs some new stuff. So I wanted to go see it. And if you're worried about being spoiled about the ride, don't continue listening because I am going to talk about at least the characterization of it. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I think it's enjoyable. I think it's a very good ride. I'm looking forward to going on it more in the future when they get rid of the virtual queue. Right now they do a thing where two times throughout the day you get in a virtual queue and then they tell you when you can board. You can't just stand in line. So I'm looking forward to when they actually, you know, let us stand in line again. Or maybe I'll do virtual queue another day. I don't know. Maybe I'll try virtual queue on Monday and go on it again. I don't know. We'll see. But actually, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll see if I can get an Epcot ticket for tomorrow. I'll figure that out. When Maybe when you're listening to this show, I will be on the new Guardians of the Galaxy right again. I don't know. I'll think about it. But the point is my experience. What happened while I was on it? So... First of all, before we even get into the ride itself, the thing I love about Disney is how immersively themed everything is. And the pre-shows are always tremendous, and this has a tremendous pre-show. I won't go into the specifics of it. I don't want to spoil the specifics of it. But you know, obviously, one thing Disney always does is they have the actors from the shows, from the movies, as part of the pre-show, and usually they use video to do it, right? Sometimes there are animatronics that are voiced, but usually they use video. That's especially going to happen with Guardians of the Galaxy because that's how they communicate on a spaceship, right? It's just, that's the funny thing about the future, right? You Do you think they'd use more holograms to communicate with each other in the future? Instead, they're like, let's use a FaceTime. 
right? I mean, FaceTime looked cool in in the time of Star Trek when that came out in the 50s, 60s and Star Wars, right? FaceTime made sense then, right? When you, you get the Death Star coming up on, you know, any uh, any ship or you have the Enterprise coming up on any Klingon ship and they FaceTime each other on giant screens. Well, that seemed cool, but that seems kind of antiquated nowadays, right? Same thing with the flip phones with the original Star Trek, but they still do that in this ride, right? So they have the FaceTime from wherever you're standing, and I want to spoil where that is, and the Guardians of the Galaxy in their ship are all around their little camera talking to you. And it's just ridiculous because you know they did it in one shot, and that has to be the most challenging thing for the actors ever to do. Now, it was a little easier for Batista because that's kind of the production quality of the WWE, so you know he's kind of used to that, and he was hitting his marks and everything. But, like... There's like no directing. There's not really blocking. They just kind of framed them all in there. And I swear to God to you, Chris Pratt had like the widest pupils the entire time. And I don't think he was doing drugs or anything. I just think it was really hard for him to act in that scenario. And it just makes me think, how difficult must it be? Because for these actors, on one hand, it's pretty cool, right? You get immortalized in a Disney ride. Although I do remember at Six Flags Magic Mountain, there was a ride that used to be Terminator when they were doing the Terminator sequels, but you could tell they rethemed it and they recast it with actors who look sort of like Christian Bale. Cause if you remember Christian Bale played John Connor in one of the sequels and I was like, well, that kind of sucks for Christian Bale that his, you know, his video was taken out of that, but I'm sure there was some contractual thing and I'm sure Disney has much longer spanning contracts than six flags. Magic mountain has, but anyway, that's gotta be pretty cool. Right, that has to be pretty cool to be on immortalized in one of these rides, right? And have the video be immortalized in one of these rides. I think it'd be even cooler if you're immortalized as an animatronic. But you know, even in the video. So on one hand, that's really cool. But on the other hand, because the budget's so small, right? They don't want to shoot this. They don't want to bring James Gunn in to shoot it and you know pay millions of dollars, right? Because they want to spend that on the ride mechanics. Spend the, although you could argue, and I do argue that the pre-show is perhaps equally as important as the ride, right? Because that's part of the experience. Uh, so that's got to be pretty cool. But they don't want to spend the money, and that makes it hard to act in those situations. So I was weird. I was in this like weird headspace where I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool, and this is entertaining, and hey, all the actors are getting lines. But then I was like, man, this is Chris Pratt's having a hard time with this. And it's weird. I don't know. Like I just kind of have that experience with a lot of entertainment now. And, you know, the mark of really, really good entertainment is where you're able to just be in the moment and you're not thinking about what's going on and how it was made as you're in it. And maybe that's just because I lived in LA for so long and I've been doing this podcast for so long that, um, I just think in that way, but I was in those, you know, those two sort of minds where like, this is entertaining. And then like, Man, Chris Pratt's having a hard time. But this sort of meta thinking and this thinking about something as you're doing it is what happened to me on the ride. And this is why, if anyone's wondering why I don't like spoilers and why I'm not on the internet as much anymore, and I've always tried to avoid Twitter and Instagram and everything around the time things were coming out, is because I don't like to be biased. I don't like to read reviews before movies. Like, even people posting about Top Gun and how good it was before I went to see it, that biased me. It changes how I think about it. I like to go into things pure. It's the same thing with a ride. But unfortunately, that didn't happen for me. And now I'm going to explain what somebody said, and it's a pretty accurate description of the ride. So again, if you're worried about being spoiled, just move forward. Or if you're worried about being spoiled, just move forward. But they did this cool thing, a cool new ride mechanic where, where you, a line mechanic where you get to the end and there are two lines that are split off. And I don't mean like the fast pass or lightning lane line. It's just literally after that merges in, as you get to the end, they put two lines in to make it easier to load and give the illusion that things are going faster. I liked it. But as we were walking forward to the front of the line, Midsider Elliot and I, I heard a kid from the next line over, right? And I'm hyper vigilant. He said, Oh yeah, it's a really good ride. It's Space Mountain, but it curves. Or it's Space Mountain, but it moves side to side. And that's a pretty accurate description of it. It pretty much is Space Mountain on steroids. Right? It pretty much is Space Mountain on steroids. But here's the thing for me. I have avoided spoilers on this ride. 
I didn't watch videos. I knew one thing about it, about what happens at the beginning. It's the only thing I knew. I won't say it now because it's pretty cool. But it's the only thing I knew. I was avoiding what it actually was like, what kind of a roller coaster it was, how it worked. I was avoiding that on purpose. Yet I get to the front of the line and it's only been open for a couple days and a kid has to say that. He has to say that. We are at such a time that I, I thought about a couple of things about this. One, I mean, first of all, it, it affected my ride experience because as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, yeah. As I'm riding, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is Space Mountain and it's just moving side to side. It is spinning around. Like, I was having those thoughts, which I would like to have made that assessment on my own. It was a proper assessment, but I like to, and maybe this is arrogance on my part, or maybe this is, they would say, selfishness or narcissism on my part, but I like to come to those conclusions and assessments on my own. You know, it's cool when somebody else can say it and be like, oh yeah, that's right, and then I use that, but then I feel like I almost have to cite that source every time because it's not an independent thought. So that's the thing, like, I was thinking that during the ride, and I was like, that kind of sucks. But, first of all, and I realized this about Disney because of this, we're at a time that nobody can just enjoy the park anymore. When you're there, everyone's always talking about, oh, this is why they did this, this is why they did that, oh, this is how they could do it better, this is how they could do it worse, oh, they should get rid of this ride, they should change this ride that way. Everybody thinks they're an insider now. And it's the same thing with base, uh, with baseball. Everyone thinks it's inside baseball now. Everybody thinks they're an insider now. And it made me think of like the cinephiles on Twitter, right? Everyone thinks they're an expert at movies and movie making and writing now. And it's the same thing. Anything that seems obviously easy to do, because there's so much information on the internet now, anyone can make themselves seem like an expert and have these conversations. And it breaks down the line between consumer and creator in a negative way. If you truly think like that, go out there and create it. Now, don't get me wrong. I like to think about that. Like, you know, I think it's cool. The new Tron ride is coming and I can't wait for the boards to come down in the middle of Epcot because there are, you know, big walls up, big boards up. And I go, what's behind them? I don't like the way it breaks down the sight line. I hope I can walk across those, but that's it. I'm not sitting here talking about insider stuff and I'm not going to in the front of the line say it. And that's the second thing. That's the second thing. The narcissism that comes from, or the narcissism that leads to saying in the front of the line, what the ride is blows my mind. It's like people who, when they get out of the movie, stand there and talk about the movie while the people who are going to the next showing are walking into the theater. You can't walk outside the movie theater. You can't go to a diner and talk about it. Isn't that what people used to do back in the day? Isn't that why it was dinner and a movie on dates? It would give you something to talk about after the movie. So maybe it should be movie and a dinner. I don't know. Dinner and a movie, movie and a dinner. I don't know. But wasn't that the point? To give you something to talk about on the dinner? Why do you have to talk about it in the front of the line? Especially on opening weekend especially on opening weekend. And here's the other thing I thought about. It's possible the kid hadn't even been on the ride yet. You know, I the, when it first happened, I was like, this kid was probably here on vacation, has been on the ride already, went on a day before, and is now going on the second day in a row to tell people about it. I even actually didn't even think he was on vacation because there's so many, like, Disney files, right? Cinephiles, Disney files. And I don't, maybe I'd be considered one. But this is why I don't consider myself a cinephile or a Disney file. Because... It's not the only thing I think about, and it's not all I care about, and I don't act like I'm an expert, and it's all I know about, and I wouldn't ruin the experience for other people. Because my first thought was just like, oh, he was somebody who's there all the time and really wanted to show how cool he was. But then I realized, what I realized was, he might not have even been on the ride yet. That might have been a description he heard somebody else say, or like an internet vlog, Write a video because I'm sure there's ride throughs and ride reviews almost immediately, right day of. Because, you know, first of all, there were pass holder previews, there were cast previews, and you know, people are going to use those to try and grow their channels. So it's just, it's an interesting example to me. And I'm not going to wrong, it made me mad. I'm not going to lie. And obviously, you know, it still bothers me because I'm still talking about this. But it's an interesting example of the effects of narcissism. In our culture, the effects of narcissism in our culture that 
we don't even think about what we're saying and how it affects other people. And honestly, to be fair to the kid, when the kid said it and the way he said it, when I looked at him, he came across that. And I don't want to say like, I'm not trying to be offensive saying this. He came across that he might've been autistic or had some sort of developmental disability. But at the same time, that then becomes on the parents to teach that and reinforce the rules because this was not a little kid. This was somebody in their their late teens or early to mid-20s. So they should have learned the rules by then, even if they have some sort of disability or I don't even want to say disability if you're autistic, right? They have some neuroatypicalness, right? So there's just a lot going on for that to happen. And I, it's just tough because it makes you not want to go out in public, because it, it changes the way you fundamentally experience things. I mean, this happened to me with Expedition Everest as well. Now, that roller coaster has been out for a very, very long time. But it's important to remember that not everybody goes on these things when they first come out, right? Not everyone sees a movie when they first come out, right? It's the same thing. With their, there are spoilers all over the Internet. So people will just freely spoil movies nowadays. It's the same thing with this. You know, I'm sure Expedition Everest had been out for you know, had been out, had been open for a long time when I had it spoiled for me, but I get all the way to the front of the line and I hear somebody say what exactly the unique mechanic is for Expedition Everest. You know, that's not cool. So this isn't the only time this happened to me, but it fundamentally makes it so we had to interact differently. I mean, how would I have to deal with that? How could I anticipate that? I can't really, right? I'd have to wear earplugs or something. And then I don't know, like, it's either that or accept that. Accept that that's the way people are going to be. And accept that that's the way things are. I don't know, that's kind of a sad state of affairs. Uh, I don't know, no overdose? Seems like a no overdose moment when I'm like, that's the way people are, they're just corrupt, they're just going to spoil it. We can do better. We can do better. Uh, Speaking of things we can do better, very quickly, uh, the Pinocchio trailer for Disney+. Plus. All I want to say about this is... uh, You know, usually I don't like to, like, focus on, like, race swapping and things, like, although it is funny to point out that gingers are always replaced by black people, but why are there no Italians in Pinocchio on Disney Plus? Like, it's literally a story that's set in Italy, and it's an Italian story. So you would think there would be more Italians in it. Isn't this appropriation? Isn't this appropriation? But then again, you know, they'd say it's white people. You can't appropriate from white people. But that's the the problem with seeing white people as a homogenous group. And this goes back to the same thing that when it came out that the Little Mermaid reboot, live action reboot is going to, or remake, sorry, remake, is going to have a black woman play Ariel. Well, the issue isn't that she's black. It's, it's that how many black people are there in Scandinavia that they would be mermaids? Because that's a Scandinavian story, right? Imagine, you know, Anna and Elsa, right? Think about that. Anna and Elsa... Frozen, that's Norway, right? That's Norwegian. It's in the Norway pavilion at Epcot. Imagine if one of them was black. Are there a lot of black Norwegians? Are they native to Norway? Are we not worried about native anymore? I don't know. It's it's an interesting discussion, but that was the first thing that hit me. Stromboli didn't look Italian. I mean, Geppetto didn't look Italian. And they literally had a black bald woman as the blue fairy. I don't find that particularly offensive. It's just when you get to the end of the trailer and you notice there are no Italians and then there's a black bald woman as the blue fairy, you're kind of like, uh, are you trying to draw attention to this? Are you trying to draw attention to this? Just, just very interesting. And then, of course, also talking about things that uh, you want to see people do well and that we can do better at, Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. So I have been, I have been using a Letterboxd. If you look at uh, the midside on Letterboxd, you'll find all my my lists of the movie I've seen this year and all the reviews I've been writing recently. So what I like to do is I like to just, you know how like on uh, Rotten Tomatoes they take like the highlighted line and that's what people read so we talk about people of short attention spans i'm using that to my advantage for letterbox and i'm trying to encapsulate my review of these movies in like one line and then you can listen to the podcast if you want to hear more if you want to hear a more in-depth review so if you look for the mid side on letterbox you'll find it there um 
So I'm gonna review. I'm gonna review Top Gun here. I gave it four out of five stars. Though it retains some of the plotting pacing of the original and contains an unnecessary and slightly confusing romance, Top Gun Maverick fly Maverick flies past the original at Mach 10.3 by succeeding with the method by which the Indiana Jones and Star Wars franchises failed. Here's what's refreshing about Top Gun Maverick. And four stars, I give this a bromantic. It's not so bromantic because I didn't think the romance was necessary. Uh, Midsider Michael pointed out to me that perhaps it was to emphasize his maturity, although I don't think the only way to show someone matured is through romance. And also you can mature in some ways and not in all ways. And I don't think it was necessary to have him mature romantically in order to show his maturity in the other areas of his life, specifically as an instructor, as a teammate. Because if you remember the original Top Gun was about him maturing to be a a good wingman. Likewise here, this is about him maturing to be a good team leader. Right? And that's the whole movie. So you can be a maverick and a team leader. You can be a maverick and a good wingman. That's actually pretty objectivist, if you want to be honest. That's pretty individualistic. And that's a good use of the American ideal, right? I mean, individualism here. So what I really, really liked about it, and what it does really well is... Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull tried to bring in Mutt, played by Shia LaBeouf, and pass the torch. Pass the torch. And say, oh, here's Mutt. He's going to take over for Indiana Jones. He's going to take over. Shia's going to take over for Harrison Ford. And it just didn't work. It felt very forced. And I think that was a lot of the problem with The Force Awakens. As this was supposed to be the handing off of the baton from Luke, Leia, and Han to the new generation. Right to Kylo Ren, to Ray, right Ray Skywalker, right especially at the end, right? Oh, my name is Ray Skywalker. She chose that, right? That's supposed to be the handing of the baton. But the thing is, when they're asking us to do that, they're asking us to just accept that that's going to be the way it's going to be, without doing it in a way that the story makes sense. It's just sort of like, oh, now this is the time, so we have to make up reasons for this to continue in this way. Whereas I think what, what, what really helps about Top Gun Maverick is the whole story is about him teaching when you realize throughout the movie that he's still the best pilot, so he can't just teach. He has to fly alongside these kids. And when that's realized and you see the realization on the instructors and in within the Navy, which it's still funny to me that a movie about flying is set in the Navy and not in the Air Force. When you see that realization, I think it makes the movie work because it's no longer about passing the baton. They still could, right? They could still do another Top Gun, right? Because they have Miles Teller play Rooster, which is Goose, his his son. If Goose, Roos, get it? Goose and Rooster, right? So you get why they named him that. That's his call sign. So you could have him be the next Maverick, right? You could have Top Gun Rooster be the next movie, right? That That's his call sign. You could do that. But the point of this movie was not we're handing the baton off. The point of this movie was, and this isn't the theme, I'm just saying how they were doing it mechanically. The point was the way previous generations acted and were affects the way we act and are. And we, the conflict of the story comes from telling the way those interact to try and achieve their theme. And their theme was essentially, how can you be a maverick and still be relevant in today's society? Right? Essentially, is old-fashioned Americanism, is the old-fashioned American hero... Think, I mean, this is like Die Hard again, right? And again... Not as good as the original Die Hard greatest action movie ever made, but it's Die Hard ever again, right? The, you know, the American cowboy is a thing of the past. It's essentially the story they're telling here. It's essentially the story they're telling here. And it works because they're not trying to get rid of Maverick. They're not trying to get rid of Pete Mitchell, of, of Tom Cruise. They're trying to continue with him because he is part of the story. And it really works in the third act where they tease where you think they're going with that because there's only one way to go with that. I mean, they tease it. They tease it. Think about, you know, The Force Awakens and what they did there. They tease that, but then they don't go in that direction and they make it work really well. And the movie continues past that point and it actually continues in a strong way because you're like, oh, wow, this is this is emotionally resonant 
right? This is hitting me emotionally because it's thematically resonant and it's realistic for the characters. I believe this conflict and the way this conflict is resolving and the choices these characters are making. It works in that way. Now, once that's over, they continue with the romance to, I guess, give the happy ending. And maybe that's supposed to be like an 80s style, but I didn't think that worked. But what did work is I think that the directing in this movie is head and shoulders above the directing of the first Top Gun movie. I will say that there are several times, not even several, numerous times in this movie that I was blown away by the shot composition. That I I sat back and I, I literally thought to myself, and this is, you know, what I was talking about earlier where you're taken out of the movie. You're taken out of the experience and that seems to be a bad thing, but sometimes that's a good thing, I think, because it is a moving picture. And I think what we lose with naturalism is we want to be immersed to the point that we forget it's art and we forget that we're experiencing art. It's like, oh, it's natural. This is just we're watching people and we're watching their life and we're engaging with it. No, I think it's okay sometimes to engage with it in a way that you're being taken out of it, but it should be the art itself that's taking you out of it. Same thing with a roller coaster, right? It should be the roller coaster itself that's taking you out of it. And there's a few times in this movie where I just sat back and I said, wow, this shot composition is amazing. It was in basic shots. And it was also in just, you could tell in the way that, you know, one of the things I love about Zack Snyder is he storyboards it and he tries to achieve the the beauty of the, you know, here's a, a, one frame that's a piece of art that's a drawing right you know it's a renaissance painting or it's a painting in itself and i thought this movie had that there's one in particular that sticks with my mind where the way it was framed you know john ham walks onto the runway and again we have our john ham rule right i was thinking about that too because i didn't know he was in this movie and then in the opening credits it said john ham and i have a john ham rule where john ham tends to pick pretty good roles i mean think about mad men he he tends to pick Roles in movies that tend to be romantic and shows that tend to be romantic. I mean, Mad Men, Sucker Punch, Top Gun Maverick, uh, Baby Driver, right? All excellent movies, but also roles that deal with the kind of themes that I care about here in the midside as the hopeful bromantic. You know, he did it again here with his role as a general who sort of doubted Maverick and was sort of against the, the traditional American hero. So, you know, with my John Hamm rule, what sticks out, what just one frame that I remember, and there, again, there's a lot more. There's many more beautifully composed frames in this movie, but he walks out onto the runway, and it's a wide shot, and it's far out, and you have the two lines of planes on either side, and John Hamm in the middle, and just the composition of that shot, just the use of angles, and I don't, like, I'm not even enough of an expert to be able to say why it works perfectly. But my brain was like, wow, that is a beautiful shot. And, you know, the lighting and everything was great as well, but just the composition. And I just thought this director, I think his name's Kaczynski. I'm not sure he's directing that movie. Let me see if I can find the name of it. Cause, um, it's Cody put it in the, in the chat here. Um, do, do, do Spiderhead. He's directing Spiderhead with, uh, Chris, Hemsworth, I was trying to think, my brain went, Pratt, Evans, Hemsworth, you know, with with Hemsworth, which looked pretty good. So, I, you know, I'm pretty excited about that movie now, because I just think this director is super, super talented. Super, super talented. Apparently, um, his name, yeah, Kaczynski, Joseph Kaczynski, no, no Polish bias, but apparently he also directed Tron Legacy, which is getting that new roller coaster in Space Mountain. So in Space Mountain, in Tomorrowland, next to Space Mountain. So I'm gonna want to watch that soon. And I've never seen Oblivion, but this this movie was so beautifully composed. The shot composition was so good that I am going to go back and look at his other work when I have time. That's how good the shot composition was. Now, do I think the script was strong enough that this movie could have been? decent could have been good even with another director yes but it says something that the director is knocking this movie out of the park visually making it even better and it makes me wonder you know like we see with snyder he intentionally picks and develops movies with themes and ideas he cares about can the same thing be said about kaczynski 
I wonder about that as well. So maybe it's worth checking his other stuff out. Uh, sound off in the Discord. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, Midsider Cody here has probably at least seen Tron Legacy. Actually, take that back. He's probably more likely seen The Oblivion. Uh, but I'm sure somebody's seen these movies. Let us know in the Discord what you think about them. All right, I want to thank you all for listening to me ramble on for the past however long it's been. Like I always say, if it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into the corner of my rambling in the corner of my closet to myself. I mean, it still kind of is that, especially in a solo episode, but you make me feel a little bit less crazy. So I appreciate that. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by going to the midside.com slash Patreon and the midside.com slash locals. You know, we accept any and all support. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. You know, if you even want to send some affirmations in the discord, that's cool too. If you want to buy my book, you can do so at midside.com slash the cut. I'm already planning my next book. I won't tell you what the title is yet until I'm more confident in it, but I am planning my next novel. Uh, and also, you know, the best way you can grow the show is to tell a friend. So why don't you tell a friend how much you enjoyed this solo trip into the midside? This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesneski reminding you that if things get tough, Take a step back and witness the farce. And I know somebody's still listening for the tag, so here it is. I don't have anything witty to say, but at least your time wasn't wasted by waiting for the tag. So have a good day.